Today's show is brought to you by Pleasureland RV, best in the Midwest. Learn more at PleasurelandRV.com. Welcome, everybody, to WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. It is July 2nd, 2023. Rob Jerisline, very happy to be with you until 6 p.m. Hope folks are enjoying this big July 4th weekend. Some of us are working tomorrow. I'll have you know, I know there's probably a lot of people out there listening who are, are indeed working tomorrow, Don't uh, aren't getting a four-day weekend. I will be among them. Uh, but I hope everybody uh, abiding by Operation Dry water. Was that what the DNR called it? Susie Jones reminding everybody about that uh, during the news break at the top of the hour. Yes, uh, very serious. Uh, yeah, folks, abide. Do not uh, do not drink and drive. Do not drink and boat. Uh, definitely the DNR putting on the full court press there, and I'm glad that they are. A number of uh, topics, uh, some fun guests here. Tony Sint from the Minnesota DNR is joining us. I alluded last week to this uh, uh public comment period that the DNR has on the Minnesota River Management Plan that they're implementing. Tony's going to join us on this week's show to talk in detail about that. Then my friend Ron Husvet is going to hop onto the broadcast. Have you ever gone houseboating up on the border? Uh, there's a number, a couple, at least a couple, two or three companies up there that uh, you can rent houseboats and go out on Voyagers National Park, I think maybe some other waterways. Ron Husvet did that. Uh, he's going to share uh, that experience with us a little bit. As well as talk about Game Fair, which is just over a month away. What about five weeks away? Game Fair 2023 out at the Armstrong Ranch. We'll talk uh, about that, what's coming up with Game Fair this year. Uh, lots of uh, topics on my mind <laughs> to talk about uh, here today. Uh, I wrote a big story about Gordon Setters that I was really proud of. Every every year in outdoor news, I try to profile a dog breed. And I got to know the Gordon Setter here a few years ago. My wife's aunt has got uh, an operation, and she's uh, done some some breeding, uh, and and uh, kicked out some litters of Gordon setters, and and so uh, we uh, we dog sat one of them a few years ago, and I've hunted over them a little bit, and learned about that. But really, a handsome breed. Not a lot of people on it. This is really lab country. Uh, that's not a. I know that's not a news flash. And so folks out there that have labs or retrievers or GSPs, right, uh, German Shorthair Pointers, uh, also a very popular breed, English Setters. Uh, you know, those are your dominant hunting breeds up here for good reason. But I tell you what, these guys and gals and gals, I mean, t- two of my sources were, were gals in this story, uh, one named Deb Peterson who chased rough grouse and woodcock uh, in the fall in the uh, more in the woodland kind of environment. Uh, man, oh, man, they're, you could not convince them that there's a better breed than the Gordon Setter. So uh, I encourage folks who want to read that story, uh, check it out. I had a lot of fun writing it. <clears throat> My column this week, you know, and I and I thought I alluded to this on last week's WCCO Outdoor Show. I went back and listened to the whole thing. I was like, no, I didn't talk about this. So I guess you're going to get both barrels now. Uh, social media. Oh, by the way, did everybody uh, did everybody abide by their uh, what, what did Elon Musk call it? The rate limit. Did did anyone exceed their late their I'm sorry their rate limit? Rate limit exceeded was the key phrase this weekend on Twitter. I did not. Actually, I did briefly on Saturday, uh, but then uh, today is so far so clear. I have not exceeded my rate limit on on Twitter. But uh, back to uh, my point. I, Social media, I'm probably guilty of following it a little too much, especially Twitter. I do feel like it is a bit of a a town hall. And I I saw a tweet last weekend. That was about 10 days ago. Someone, a young person, enthusiastically and positively, I don't want to take shots at this person because I appreciate 
uh, the, the pointing out that um, how lucky Minnesota is to have the legacy amendment. And, you know, let's hope it all continues for decades to come. And I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I, I'm glad to see people who even know about the legacy amendment, uh, which passed in 2008, uh, applied a, a new sales tax, uh, devoting those dollars to the environment and, and, uh, and other uh, state parks, uh, clean water, that sort of thing. And, then, of course, there was a small component going to the arts also. But I had to pause and, and kind of write my grumpy old man column this week and point out that this did not happen randomly. This did not happen by accident. The legacy amendment that passed in 2008 took 10 years of really hard work and grinding out in the legislature, getting politicians on board. So there were several different iterations of it. It was ignited by the sporting community in the late 90s, advocating for a Missouri-type plan, a sales tax plan that would, that would create a permanent funding source for doing environmental and conservation improvements. And eventually the environmental community got on board with it, and eventually the arts community got on board with it and got it through the legislature. Larry Pogamiller, DFLer, deserves a lot of credit for pushing it through the legislature. He was a state senator at the time. And then the uh, the electorate supported it, not by a massive margin. I want to say it was about 56 57% in 2008. And because of that, close to $3 billion over, the, over 25 years is going to be dedicated to uh, fish and wildlife management. And then there's other pots of money going you know, to some of these other points that I made. And it's, it's done just incredible work. We need the media in general, including my outfit, Outdoor News, needs to do a better job at pointing out the great work that it's accomplishing every day out there. Uh, it's, been a, <clears throat> it's been a boon for clean water. It's been a boon for wetlands restoration and for wildlife across the state. And we need to do a better job at telling that story. But like a lot of great public policy in, involving the environment, it didn't just happen. It wasn't. It didn't. This thing, these things didn't just fall from the sky. You know, when you look out, I wrote in my comment. When you look out at a pond and you see a great blue heron, the reason it's not a woman's hat, or I don't care who wears the hat, is because of the Migratory Bird Treaty Act that passed you know, over a hundred years ago, when the public said, "No, we, we we're losing all our birds because they're they're being feathers are being turned into hats." And the public said, no, we, we don't want that. We want to be able to look up in the sky and see some of these birds. And that's why we enjoy these creatures to this day. Uh, the, 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 the legislation that passed to create the national parks and a lot of other public lands where we see buffalo and other iconic wildlife species, uh, the, the conservation reserve program and the state wildlife management area program that creates all this landscape for us to hunt and for wild critters to grow so that we have these pastimes, that, that took a lot of work. That took a lot of effort. It just it didn't just happen. So when I see someone say, let's hope that the legacy amendment continues for decades to come, I, I say, hard stop. This thing runs out in 2034, and it's not going to exist for decades to come unless all of us get on board with making sure the legislature puts this thing back on the ballot sometime between now and 2034, and the public gets another shot at extending it for decades to come. And I absolutely am going to be on board with that. That's something you're going to hear me pr promoting extensively over the next decade. So if you don't like what I talk about here, I guess you, you're not going to like it anymore over the next decade because I'm going to keep talking about it. 
Uh, it's going to take a lot of hard work. It's not going to be hope is not what's going to accomplish it. It's going to take a lot of effort and something I hope the general public eventually supports. We're here until 6 o'clock. Then stay tuned for 60 minutes. Uh, then I guess Gerilyn Seal is taking some well-deserved time off uh, this holiday weekend. Uh, she will not be with us tonight, but at 7 o'clock, CBS, a 4th of July special from 7 to 10 p.m. So uh, it should be a fun evening here on WCCO Radio. With that, I'm going to get in a break. We'll talk with Tony Sint from the Minnesota DNR. When we return, this is WCCO Outdoors. Welcome back, dear listeners, to WCCO Outdoors on this Sunday, July 2nd. Rob Jerisline is with you here until 6 p.m. Having a good broadcast on this holiday weekend. Hope folks have some great plans for July 4th this Tuesday. For this segment, I would like to check in with Tony Sint. He is with the Fisheries Division at the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. A press release came out from Fisheries last week that's in this week's print version of Outdoor News. This press release is talking about a fisheries management plan on the Minnesota River that the uh, Minnesota DNR is accepting comments on through August 11th, Friday, August 11th. So uh, to talk about that plan now, again, is Minnesota River Fisheries Specialist Tony Sint. He's out of Hutchinson, and he jumps into the broadcast now. Tony, how you doing? Good. Good to be here, Rob. Yeah, you've been afield a lot, haven't you? You're, uh, you're chasing paddlefish? Yeah, this is a super busy time of year um, in the field, doing all types of different types of field work and, and fishery surveys. Uh, and yeah, just the last couple of days, we were doing some surveys trying to catch paddlefish. One of the goals is to implant transmitters to help us learn about movement and uh, migration patterns of paddlefish in our Minnesota rivers. Well, I, I hope we have some time maybe to swing back to that because that's that's pretty fascinating. Uh, and, and Outdoor News is going to have an extensive story on that, too. You guys were nice enough to take uh, young Brian Mosey out to get some pictures of that research. But I, I want to talk for a few minutes, at least, on this Minnesota River fish management plan. We've been talking about the Minnesota River a lot lately, Tony. I mean, with this two-line fishing thing that just kicks in uh, this weekend, July 1st, yep. uh, that began. Were you involved with that at all, with uh, with some of the uh, decision-making that went into that, Tony? No, that's not really part of my purview or job, but um, I'm excited about that opportunity for Minnesota River anglers here coming up real soon. I'm, I'm, I know many Minnesota River anglers have been anxious for something like this for a long time. Yeah, two lines. I know the catfish guys are especially excited about it, but uh, any species, you can use two lines now on the Minnesota River all the way up to what the Granite Falls Dam, I Correct. believe. Uh, important to point out that it does not include tributaries of the Minnesota River, right? You can't take your boat up a creek or a, or a, or another river tributary of the Minnesota and, and use two lines. It stops uh, at the mouth of any of those uh, those tributaries. Yes. So it, it struck me a little interesting, the timing of the DNR inviting anglers and other members of the public to comment on this fisheries management plan when we're already implementing a fairly significant public policy change, uh, this two-line thing on the river. Tell us about the fish management plan. Uh, how often does something like this get implemented on, a, on any water body in the state? And why the timing on the Minnesota River right now? Yeah, so really, you know, any of the the water bodies or fisheries that we manage in the state typically have some sort of management plan and they're often updated, you know, sometimes as frequently as every couple years to maybe as infrequently as every 20 years or more. For the Minnesota River, it's an important resource, a really unique, diverse fish community and provides some unique fishing opportunities. And we try to update the fisheries management plan every five years. We're, and we're just happen to be at about that five-year mark, kind of going on the six-year mark. But uh, 
I felt and many of us here in the DNR fisheries felt it was important to get public comment on this this version of the Minnesota River Management Plan. And so uh, we're de- kind of delaying the process and we're providing the opportunity now for people to provide comment so we can hopefully make it the best possible plan for the next five years or so until the next update. Any highlights of the plan? I mean, if folks want to read what the, the draft copy, they can do that right now, correct? Yeah. So, yeah, if people are interested in, in commenting on it or just seeing the current draft plan, you can find it on the DNR webpage. Uh, there's a link to it from the news release about the management plan uh, public comment opportunity. And you can also contact myself at my email address, uh, which I'll just provide real quick. It's anthony.sint at state.mn.us. My last name is spelled S-I-N-T-T. You can also call me at 320-753-0333, but you can get a copy of that plan to review it. And it really, you know, it it provides a lot of information about the Minnesota River just in general, uh, a lot of overview and context, but then it touches on what our main priorities and goals are as far as monitoring the fisheries. So, for example, some of the primary work we do on the Minnesota River revolves around the catfish fisheries because they're really popular. So every year we do annual hoop net surveys to assess the catfish populations. Uh, We also evaluate the health of the overall fish community annually uh, with electrofishing surveys, typically during August. Those are just a couple examples of the work we do. Um, But as anglers' interests change, uh, we want to be able to adapt what we do to, to meet their needs. Yeah, you were talking about the Minnesota River being a great bat fishery. There's a lot of other traditional game fish on the Minnesota also. I mean, it's it's a solid walleye river. Absolutely true. Uh, the catfishing is probably what's most unique to the Minnesota River, but it's a phenomenal walleye and sauger fishery. Uh, people target other species like northern pike. One species that's not necessarily a common game fish, but it's often targeted by Minnesota River anglers are freshwater drum or what people refer to as sheep's head. Uh, and there's, there's over 80 fish species that live in the Minnesota River. Um, so there's lots of opportunities to fish for different species. This plan, when are you going to have it locked in? The public can comment through Friday, August 11th, but when will it be wrapped up? Yeah, that's a good question. Certainly, you know, we're asking people to provide their comments by August 11th. You know, I'm never going to turn down input at other points in time. In fact, at any point in time, I'm happy to hear anglers or or Minnesotans' comments or thoughts on Minnesota River Fisheries Management. But in reality, you know, we're going to take the comments into consideration and hopefully over the fall, be able to finalize the plan and ultimately get a finalized next plan for the next five years. You said that there's over 80 species of fish in the river. You've been doing a lot of surveys out there. Like I say, I want to come back to paddlefish. Everybody finds those those fish amazing. I ever bumped into an American eel or any other species that really surprised you uh, in the Minnesota? Yeah, I wouldn't say anything has really surprised me, but the American eel is probably one of the rarest uh, species in the Minnesota River, and I have been fortunate enough to see multiple of them. A really long story about their unique life history and the story of American eel, but uh, any American eel in the Minnesota River came all the way up the Mississippi River from the Gulf of Mexico and the from the Sargasso Sea. So it's really fascinating to see a species like that. And I've been fortunate to see a couple of them in the Minnesota River myself. We're, we're all familiar with sa- salmon, which are what? Anadromous, which means they spawn in freshwater and then live their life at sea. Mm-hmm. 
the American eel is just the opposite, right? And it's the only one I'm aware of that's, what's the word, catadromous, where they spawn out in the Saragasso Sea. Isn't it like in the Bermuda Triangle or something? Thing? I, I believe you're correct. It's yeah. way out there. I think it's in the Atlantic Ocean. And then they swim all the way back up these rivers, and that's where they live their lives. So if you ever bump into an American eel, you are witnessing a truly amazing species. Yep, it's amazing. You're listening to WCCO Outdoors. I am Rob Jerislein, and we're chatting with Tony Sint. He's a Minnesota River fishery specialist for the Department of Natural Resources, working on the Minnesota River. There's a big Minnesota River master plan that uh, he's developing right now. Uh, the paddlefish research you're doing. How many paddlefish do we have out there, Anthony? Oh, it's hard to put an exact number, uh, and I don't want to make some random guess, but uh, I feel, based on the work we've done the last handful of years, that there's a relatively abundant, healthy population of paddlefish in the Minnesota River, but there's still kind of a lot of questions that we need to answer to really, you know, be confident about that. Do you think there's enough paddlefish in the river? There must be some spawning behavior, correct? Yeah, and that's one of those questions that we really haven't been able to answer. And that, that's the biggest question I have is, are paddlefish reproducing successfully within the Minnesota River? Or are all the paddlefish that are hanging out in the Minnesota River coming from somewhere else? It's a very difficult question to answer. Uh, if anybody that's familiar with the Minnesota River knows the water is not exactly clear. So it's not like you can just go uh, visually observe, you know, spawning activity of paddlefish. Uh, and it's very, very difficult to try to capture things like paddlefish eggs or larval paddlefish to confirm their presence, especially if it's in a low abundance. They're an old species, right? And in terms of, uh, they've been around a long time. Are they somewhat related to sturgeon? They they kind of look like a sturgeon. Yeah, they're they're definitely one of the prehistoric species, along with other species like sturgeon and gar that are you know prehistoric, been around a long time, and probably lived in the Minnesota River uh, for a very long time. You know, not only is it a, an old species, but they're also a species that can live a long time. What we consider, you know, more of a a long-lived, slow-growing species, which typically tends to being a more sensitive species of things like overharvest and habitat destruction. And they are protected in Minnesota. You're not supposed to catch or, or, or kill paddlefish, correct? Correct. In Minnesota, we do not have an open season for targeting or harvesting paddlefish. I know there are some adjacent states where they do that, but uh, Minnesota correct. is not one of them. Well, uh, Tony, thanks for spending a segment with me. Uh, I want to remind folks so uh, they can get a draft copy of this Minnesota River Management Plan from you. One more time, how can they get their hands on that draft plan or how can they comment on it to you? Yeah, absolutely. There's many ways to get in contact with myself or get a copy of the plan. The plan is available online on the DNR website, but you can also reach me via email. It's anthony.sint at state.mn.us. My last name is spelled S-I-N-D-T. Uh, you can also reach me by phone at 320-753-0333. If you go to the DNR's website and look up the Hutchinson Fisheries Office, you can also find all my contact information, including my mailing address. Please reach me any any of those ways if you have insight or, or comments on the Minnesota River fisheries and this management plan or any other concerns about Minnesota River fisheries. Another simple way to get to the report and probably reach Tony is just go to mndnr.gov and search Minnesota River. Correct. Um, Tony, thanks for spending a segment with me. Good Thank stuff. You. Good luck with your research. Thanks for all you do. Thank you very much. Tony Sint from the Minnesota Department of Natural Resources. If you love the Minnesota River, it's a great state asset. Check it out and uh, chime in on how we manage it. Let's get in a break. More WCCO Outdoors after these messages. 
Welcome back to WCCO Outdoors. Rob Dreesline with you here until 6 o'clock on this Sunday, July 2nd, 2023. Special guest going to join me now, my old friend Ron Husvet. Uh, you might know Ron from his byline as an outdoors writer, as well as his presence at Game Fair. We're going to talk about uh, Game Fair 2023 for a few minutes. I know Ron also just returned from a border country trip on a houseboat, something I've never done. Thought that might be of interest to listeners here today. Welcome, Ron. Good to hear from you. And you have just returned from uh, your houseboat trip, huh? Yeah, it's great to be back, back in uh, civilization. Uh, Ron is uh, an educator. That's his day job. Uh, But yeah, you went up to border country, and uh, Gary Clancy used to write about this a little bit. You can rent uh, one of these big old houseboats. It's kind of like a cabin on the water, and and you were on Voyagers National Park. Is that right? Yeah, we were up on Voyagers National Park on Sandpoint and Namakin Lakes right there on the border, hopping back and forth between uh, Ontario and uh, Minnesota. I had an Ontario fishing license, so that's why I was able to cross over there. Otherwise, you know, you got to Stick on the U.S. side with with the with the watercraft for the most part. Do you need a remote border crossing permit to fish those waters over there? As long as you don't touch, license? yeah. As long as you don't touch the land, you are able to okay. be in Ontario waters. As long as you've got a license mm-hmm. for uh, Ontario fishing. And how was the fishing? It was pretty good. It was not rip roaring, but it, uh, we definitely didn't get shut out. We caught lots of smallmouth bass and got into some walleye enough to have a, a nice meal. Nice dinner of walleye, and uh, the pike were all over the place. Not, nothing giant, but we had, landed a couple of really nice big smallmouth bass. So it was it was a good fishing, and the fish were kind of all over the water column. There was stuff up shallow, but we had to go down deep as well to catch some of them. Uh, the weather had changed, so uh, it was pretty consistent coming from the east or coming from the west, and then <laughs> our third day out there, uh, it shifted from the east. It started to rain and, and blow into this. We had put it in a nice harbor, and I remember commenting, well, as long as we don't get an east wind, this will be a nice little quiet harbor. And wake up in the middle of the night to the boat kind of mm. <laughs> gently rocking. Big old east wind. Uh, yeah, huh? a big, a big, big uh, houseboat doesn't react too much to uh, the waves that we were getting, but there was definitely some some big bangers out there mm-hmm. with, with the boats. And it was your first time doing this houseboat thing, correct? Yeah, I've never done the houseboat thing before, and we we had two chaser boats with that we we uh, two, two of our own fishing boats, so that's what we did our fishing out of. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and have never driven a watercraft that large. All right, well, how was my that life. experience? It was fun. It was really neat. Being the most experienced uh, boat driver there, I was usually the captain of the of the houseboat, and you know you got to learn the uh, if you're not if you're not a river rat, you don't know your your red buoys and your green buoys, what they mean and, and how to read yeah. that. And then you'll be, it is a current up there, so you got to know which side is the right side to be on. But uh, it, it didn't take too long to figure out how to navigate and, and stay off the rocks. Because, you know, when you're up there, there's rocks all over the right. place, and they right. pop up out of the middle of nowhere. And some of them are marked well, and some of them are marked, you know, okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> and. Uh-huh. You know, you, you just stay away from the other areas because we. I bumped a couple boat, a, a couple of rocks with my fishing boat. Luckily, we were just slow trolling or just casting. All of a sudden, you know, boof, there's a rock right there. Um, luckily, never drove over those too fast. But I'm sure some of those rocks have got some lower units near them, yeah, <laughs> deep no underwater. And at night, you just pull up on a on a beach. Is that right? Yeah, just pull up on a beach. Um, the the guys explained it at the at the houseboat place. There's there's you can they taught us how to do a mud landing, a rock landing, and a sand landing. And obviously, the sand is the easiest. But uh, we had to do a rock landing on our first night. But yeah, it, it was 
it's interesting the different kinds of campsites that they don't all have sandy bottoms on them mm-hmm. but yeah you just you pull right up to that and you tie off with two big lines on either side uh-huh. uh, coming off about a 45 degree angle and you anchor to a tree or a forest service has put in some metal rings in, into the rocks and mm-hmm. some on some of the sites and uh that's that holds you tight and what was the vibe from the family? What's, did they did they enjoy it? Did they say they'd like to do it again, or was it uh, one time was enough for, for that experience? Yeah, no, everybody had a great time. Uh, my wife had a bad houseboat experience way back when she was a kid. Her mm-hmm. they they did a, a river Mississippi River houseboat, oh. and it proceeded to rain the whole time. And mm-hmm. she was, I think, thirteen years old at the time. So you know, at the age where almost anything you do might be kind of miserable. If you're not with your friends and stuff. So she was the most reluctant to go, and she had a great time. Um, and definitely, uh, we've contemplated doing this again. Mm-hmm. So making it, a, making it a thing. Well, fantastic. It uh, sounds like a, like a great experience. This is WCCO Outdoors. Rob Jerisline chatting with our friend Ron Husfett. Uh, coming up on the calendar, not too far out, is Game Fair 2023. Uh, what are we, 42 years? 43 yeah, 42nd years second year. Yeah, 42nd yeah. year, okay. Uh, you're out there every year. Anything new coming up uh, at Game Fair this summer? Yeah, well, Chuck always likes to mix it up and and do some new things. So he's uh, working on a couple of going to be working with uh, Nora Ross and Laura Share to be doing. Uh, there's also an exhibitor coming that's going to be doing some special uh, shotgun shooting uh, events and instruction for for women. Uh, there's a lot of, of women shooters that come out to the game fair, and Chuck wants to do something uh, different and special with that this year. So he's still working on the details with that, um, but we'll we'll keep folks posted on Outdoor News and also the Game Fair uh, website, GameFair.com. And uh, there's going to be some different dog things going on, so mixing up with some of the dog events. And like I said, those are also everything's getting ironed out with that, but everything will be updated uh, as we have the the full details. On GameFair.com. So, as you know, folks may or may not know, it's a big event where you can bring your dog as long mm-hmm. as it's on a leash. Yep. And yep. Uh, dogs don't cost anything. Dogs uh, get in free. Dogs get in free, and there's lots of stuff for them to do if you want to have them do some of the different dog events that we have going on. So, was just working on that this morning. Two weekends, August 11th, 12th, 13th, and 18th, 19th, 20th, out at the Armstrong Ranch up in uh, Anoka Ramsey area. Yeah, I enjoy all the different breeds of dogs out there. I always seem very well behaved. Yeah, I've the been. dogs behave themselves. It's um, the head bouncer with with with, uh, with owners who don't control their dogs uh-huh. too well, and I've been very happy to not have to do too much. I'm going to knock on wood here. Right, right. <laughs> Keep that tradition going. Yeah. In outdoor news, I always like to do a breed, different breed profile every year. And this year, it just happens to coincide with this week's paper on we did piece on Gordon Setters. Yeah, I saw that. Which I think are just beautiful dogs. And I dog sat a Gordon a few years ago. And that's kind of how I launched the story was recounting that experience a little bit. Uh, but I got to talk to some other Gordon Setter owners and uh, learn, you know, why they love their breed so much and everybody's got their breed and everybody's got a, a reason why they love it yeah and we uh, there's a fair share of gordon setters out at, at game fair as well as uh, i did one of the pieces for outdoor news a few years ago when i did a, a community chat where you know a person on the street sort of interviews tried to get as many different dog breeds as i could to find out why the why folks chose that breed 
I, I thought I knew most other dog breeds, and I, I happened to pick a couple that I said, "Oh, is that a is that a V slot?" No, it's actually and, right. You know, they said something else. So it's neat to to see all the different breeds and then talk yeah. with folks as to why. And there's also dog clubs out there. Yep. Um, people can talk to and ask questions. So there's you know there, there's dog breeders and dog trainers out there, but then there's also all these dog clubs. Mm-hmm. And so that's a great place to learn about and see these different breeds as well yeah. in, in person and ask people. And most people our dog, who are dog people walking their dog are, are happy to engage and talk about oh, yeah. their pup as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, pups of all ages. So Game Fair, it's a great time. Gamefair.com, I want to encourage folks to get out there. I'll be out there uh, most of both weekends, uh, as will Mr. Husvet. We're going to have a good time. Before we let you go, Ron, I saw a nice picture of a young man holding a big, healthy tiger muskie. I think it was from Lake Nokomis uh, a couple days ago. Uh, I think we forget uh, at one time what Lake uh, Calhoun, now Bidet Makaska, was the uh, the lake that held the state record tiger for. I bet it held that record for 20 years or something. Yeah, it was about, yeah, 15, 20 years. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think we sometimes pause and forget about the great fishing for big predator fish on those Minneapolis lakes. The first two tiger muskies I ever, well, ever that I've caught uh, were on Lake Nokomis, right close to the swimming beach. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> a forty-one incher and a wow. thirty-nine incher. That's, that's forty-one inches. That's a nice fish. Yeah. Yeah, and I I was bass fishing for the first one. I wasn't okay. even trying for tigers. Mm-hmm. There's lots of great predators uh, in in those city lakes. But Dave has also got a huge population of pike. Uh, I've caught some really nice pike mm-hmm. in that lake as well. I fished a bass tournament there once, and I couldn't keep pike off my off my lures. Yeah, I don't know if I yeah. caught a bass pike like crazy. Yeah, you see some big carp in there, but uh, I guess the small carp are, are feeding the. Uh the predator fish, huh? Yeah. Well, and a lot of people think, you know, those city lakes are going to be murky and cl- uh, cloudy, but uh, but David Costa's got tremendous water clarity. You can see down in that lake for a long ways. And when those pike come out of there, they've got that really fish coloration sort of depends on the water mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, what's in the water as well. But those pike are really clean looking fish. Yeah. Uh, they're really, they look like up north pike mm-hmm. as far as just the, you know, that really white, white on their belly and the. The, the hard green on their sides there. Yeah. They've always been some great-looking fish. And the Nokomis has got a little more not as clear of water. It gets pretty pretty murky because it's a shallower lake, but those tiger muskies also have got great colors. They do. That the, come out of there. So. Yeah, the ones I've seen. I don't know if you remember old Jack Burns. Uh, oh, used yeah. to write a, a muskies-only column for outdoor news and you know i talked to him once yeah where do you go musky fishing and he said rob you know some of the best musky fishing's right around the metro area yeah you really can't beat it so one last time game fair 2023 august 11th 12th 13th and 18th 19th and 20th out at the armstrong ranch in anoka Highlight of everybody's experience out there is meeting Ron Husband. <laughs> well, maybe not. Maybe the trick shooter show <laughs> This is the highlight, but I'll, I'll take uh, maybe third. <laughs> well, I'm sure we'll talk more game fair between now and the second and third weekend of August. But thanks for coming in, Ron. Always a pleasure. Let's get in a break. More WCCO Outdoors after these messages. Welcome back, everybody, to WCCO Outdoors on News Talk 830. I am Rob Dreesline. Final segment of this week's broadcast on this July 2nd, 2023. July 2nd. A lot of things have happened on this date, folks. Uh, I don't know if anyone else has talked about any of these things on WCCO today. One, uh, if you've listened to me, you know I am a big, uh, I, I do a lot of reading of Ernest Hemingway, and he died on this day, 62 years ago in 1961, uh, tragically by suicide, I think that's pretty well known. Uh, in many ways, uh, 
you know, one of America's outdoors writers, one of America's greatest outdoors writers, uh, writing quite frequently about hunting and fishing overseas. But he was a very avid outdoorsman uh, and uh, certainly had his vices, uh, was not an infallible individual in many ways. If you, if you do your reading and understand his life, there are things to love and respect about Hemingway. There are things not to love and respect so much about Ernest Hemingway, but that there's no doubt he was uh, one of our greatest contributors to American letters, and uh, I enjoy reading him to this day. I learn a lot uh, re- reading uh, what he did. And I would, again, as I've said before, I would recommend any American, any American concerned about some of the divisions in our country, read uh, For Whom the Bell Tolls, uh, and you'll find out uh, what what unnecessary divisions sometimes can do to a democratic society. Another big uh, thing that happened on this date Speaking of divided countries, July 2nd, 1863, right, 160 years ago to this day, is the day the first Minnesota uh, charged into the Confederate lines uh, as they tried to push uh, the Union off Cemetery Ridge. And, uh, you know, they're, what, what, what did they, like, they lost like 82% of their of their division or, or their, their group, only 47 survivors were able to rally back. Uh, but the actions of the first Minnesota that day, everyone, uh, every historian agrees, saved the battle, uh, stopped the advance, uh, the, the high watermark, as they say, of the Confederacy. Uh, and I read, as I was researching this a little bit, that 82% casualty rate stands as the largest loss by any surviving U.S. military unit in a single day's engagement ever. I think the key word there is surviving, because uh, I think uh, everyone knows what happened 12 years later to George Armstrong Custer's 7th Calvary, and well, that was 1876. There were no survivors, so I guess that's that's the difference. But um, the unit's uh, colors of the 1st Minnesota are displayed in the rotunda of the Minnesota Capitol to this day. You know, I, I freely admit, I, I have no connection to that era of Minnesota. My relatives were not here at that time. In fact, if I had any relatives in the U.S., they, they may have very well been in the South. Uh, but what they accomplished that day cannot be understated. Good people volunteering to fight for justice and freedom. Those are things to think about this this July 4th weekend. You know, those guys, they drew a line at Gettysburg, and it was the high-water mark for an insurrectionist slaveocracy. And thank, thank God it was the high-water mark. And the Union would spend the next the better part of the next two years dismantling that slaveocracy, and saying you don't get to have that kind of government on this continent, and we're all better for it. So, little little Fourth of July rant there for you on uh, on on the outdoors broadcast. Uh, I think uh, as Minnesotans, we need to all pause on this day, especially man, 100 exactly 160 years ago, and it was hot. It was a hot weekend, just like this. If you've never visited Gettysburg, I highly recommend it. I took my family out there. I don't know, four or five years ago, right? right? It was 4th of July weekend. It was another really hot weekend out there, and it's an amazing place uh, and an important part of our democracy. I took a picture of, we got a picture of our whole family standing by that uh, huge monument to the first Minnesota, and I, <clears throat> I would encourage any Minnesotan to go out there and uh, and check that out. Uh, I just got a couple of minutes left, so I guess uh, after a, a very serious topic like that, uh, I would point out some things that I saw, uh, some news items that I saw in this week's uh, print edition of Outdoor News. Uh, if you uh, are, are a citizen out there who likes to feed deer, uh, you should know that we've got we've got a ban on feeding deer across a good chunk of the state. 
Uh, and that's because the DNR does not want us uh, spreading chronic wasting disease. Uh, and they've, they've kind of mixed it up a little bit. There were a bunch of counties where there were bans and others where there weren't. And I think based on where we're finding chronic wasting disease now, the DNR has lifted that ban on several places. So right now we're down to, they, they lifted the ban on 24 counties. Right now the ban is in place in 23 counties. I think mostly in southeastern Minnesota. Um, and then, you know, there's a couple other hot spots around the state where we've got some chronic wasting disease. Uh, and so check that out. Uh, you you want to be aware of that. In general, deer feeding is just not a real good idea, folks, uh, because it, it brings deer, it congregates deer. They're more likely to, you know, transmit it. They're, 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 they're down feeding together. They're rubbing noses, that sort of thing. Uh, and that's how this chronic wasting disease sometimes can can get passed around. Final quick topic, uh, Marshall Helmberger, who runs a great newspaper in northeastern Minnesota, uh, the uh, Timber Jay, uh, we sometimes run some of his uh, commentaries uh, in, in outdoor news, and he had one recently about <clears throat> kind of kicking around our bats, the fact that we're, we've lost a lot of bats across North America over the past decade. Is that one reason there seems to be more mosquitoes, especially like in places like the Boundary Waters? Now, a month ago, I was yelling and screaming about mosquitoes. I may have even done it on this broadcast. Now, lately it hasn't been as bad, partially because it's been so darn dry out there, and I think that's that's contributed to the decline in mosquitoes here. But uh, this white-nose syndrome has wiped out all kinds of bats across the country. I mean, bat populations are at an all-time low, and they eat a lot of mosquitoes. So Marshall's you know, kind of putting two and two together and saying, you know, is one reason we got more mosquitoes because we got fewer of their predators, I, you know, a.k.e. the bat? You hear the music, I'm out of time, people might be happy about that. Stay tuned for 60 minutes, and then at 7 o'clock, CBS, you got a three-hour 4th of July special, again, starting at 7 p.m. I want to thank everybody who's joined me here. Everybody have a great holiday weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Have a great week out of doors. Rob Driesline signing off for WCCO Outdoors.